Welcome to episode 267 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. One of my 2024 resolutions is to do more energy transition reporting about Europe, especially the Repower EU strategy adopted after Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February of 2022. Vladimir Putin seriously underestimated Europe's resolve and its ability to speed up the shift to renewables to replace Russian gas. The place to start in any conversation about European energy is Germany. I'll be talking to Ralph Dickel, a senior visiting research fellow at the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies, about his recent paper, Decarbonizing Germany's Heating Sector. So welcome to the interview, Ralph. Hey, well, thanks for the interest in my paper. And I'm, I'm happy to do an interview with you, definitely. Well, thank you. We're, we're glad to have you here. And, and you're joining us from Germany, are you not? Yes, I'm in Düsseldorf in West Germany, close to the Rhine River. Excellent. Well, look, I would like to get your uh, take on uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. The, the uh, eventual uh, the response to that was led to the shutoff of Russian natural gas exports to Germany. And um, maybe I do have a very specific question that you could answer. Uh, I have heard Canadians, in fact, my brother-in-law was one of them, criticizing Germany very heavily for getting its, tying itself so tightly to Russian gas and not anticipating that this would happen. In hindsight, they're going, well, it was obvious. It was always going to happen. But what was the thinking in Russia, you know, over the last 10, 20 years about that shift to building supply from Russia? Now, yeah, historically, Germany has um, taken gas from Russia for a very long time. I mean, in fact, I think the first the contract was signed in 73, and this was already a large contract, and then other large contracts followed. And even during the time of Cold War, uh, the Russians did not default on their contractual obligations. So there was a certain basic trust into Russia that in spite of political differences, they would basically deliver the gas that, that we bought. Now, <clears throat> the situation over time has changed. And uh, yeah, as uh, was said, nothing is happening in a vacuum. And so tensions with Russia grew in the last 10, 15 years. And uh, then despite several, several efforts to, to maintain relationship, to maintain transit, I was also involved in that, uh, then, then basically the relation to Russia collapsed. And uh, this also happened before this invasion of Ukraine. There was the Kaza Act by, by the United States, which basically had as a target to cut off all energy supplies from Russia. So that's the situation we are in now. And as a matter of fact, so to speak, now we are not getting, in, in Germany, not getting any gas. In the EU, this is different. Austria is still getting almost uh, more than 90% of, of Russian gas. But in Germany, we are not getting Russian pipeline gas. We are getting Russian LNG gas, directly or indirectly. When Germany has now an operation, I believe, I did not follow it so closely, some, some four LNG terminals, floating terminals, and there are more to come. So in that regard, uh, the inlet capacity of Russian gas has to some extent been replaced by LNG terminals of our own and eventually also of neighboring countries like, like the Netherlands. So that is one thing. The other thing is that anyhow, so to speak, a shift away from fossil fuels is on the agenda. 
and also in that regard, a shift away from natural gas. Um, and, and, and that is basically the subject of my paper. Um, so this is a bit independent of, of what's happening in between us and Russia, but uh, it's very end. Uh, we have a Climate Protection Act, which obliges us to become carbon dioxide neutral in 2045. So that's not a long time to go. Indeed. Is it fair to say then that the relationship with Russia, the business relationship, commercial relationship with Russia that was forged 50 years ago, gave Germany uh, a reasonable expectation that regardless of, as you say, political differences, that Russia would honor that commercial relationship and there was some security in getting pipeline gas from Russia? In a way, Germany is not only tied to Russian gas, we also get Norwegian gas, and in earlier times we got also Dutch gas and had some domestic production. And now Germany is, is firmly, firmly part of the EU gas market. So one should not look at Germany in isolation. We are linked to the overall EU gas market, which works well, which also has the interconnection that's needed for a more or less uniform gas market. In this way, we are, of course, also linked to the LNG, to the global LNG market. The advantage of Russian gas was, so to speak, that it was an extra supply at, at always competitive conditions. And this way, so to speak, uh, you and Germany had enough of competitive gas. And uh, now that this is cut off, we are much more linked to the LNG market, to the global LNG market. And as that is quite tight, then we have to pay, so to speak, quite a premium over over U.S. domestic gas. The premium, uh, which is partly cost-related to the cost of liquefaction and the transport by, by energy tankers and regasification. So this is a basic disadvantage we have now. Okay, well, let's talk about the uh, Germany's heating demand. Maybe you could give us an overview of that structure and where you think that demand is going in the future as Germany decarbonizes and presumably replaces the, um, the supply of gas with the supply of, of electricity from someplace, whether it's produced domestically or, or imported? Now, yeah, that is still an open question. I mean, one thing which is for sure is that if you want to decarbonize, if you want to have zero, net zero, um, then there's no room for gas as a final energy, especially not in, in small application where you cannot decarbonize it, like a larger application where you cannot carbon, carbon capture. But uh, in smaller applications like in households, uh, this is not possible. And therefore, gas as a final energy will have to be phased out. This does not mean that it has to be phased out as a primary energy. But somehow you have to decarbonize then um, the heating points where, where heat is produced. And uh, when, you, when you look on the balance of final energy in Germany, then about 60% of final energy is indeed heating, of which it's about 37 space heating and about a bit more than 22 heat in industry. And then, by the way, it's, it's a bit less than 30%, which is uh, traffic. So, so when, when you can decarbonize the heating sector, that goes a long way to decarbonize everything. And then the traffic is, is maybe more complicated. Now, 
when you look at the industry, industry is, is a different animal because it's, it's high temperature heat. It's heat above 100 degrees Celsius, up to more than 1,500 degrees Celsius. And usually it's, it's integrated into the industrial process. So, so uh, you have very individual approaches how you want to decarbonize. And this is in the very end best left to the industry, how individually they want to do it. Whereas when you look at the space heating, that is much more standardized. I mean, you have kind of buildings and, and also you have uh, kind of commercial use of, of heat. And so, so you may have a much more uniform approach. And also in the very end, you will always be linked to some um, infrastructure, be it electricity infrastructure, be it gas infrastructure, be it eventually also carbon dioxide infrastructure. Uh, so that means that it's, it's much more political and, and there's much more of uh, uh, public elements in it than, than for industry. Is it fair yeah. to say, is it fair to say, Ralph, that um, decarbonizing uh, heat for sp space heating in buildings is the technology is more or less available now? And I'm thinking of heat pumps, of course. I know, I know we, uh, we installed a heat pump about uh, almost two years ago now mm -hmm. and are just thrilled with its operation. I mean, for our little 13 square foot, 1300 square foot bungalow, it's, it's just, a operates well, it, very efficient and low cost and, and just can't say enough good things about it. So from that experience, and I would infer that the technology is here to heat uh, Germany's homes. Now, yeah, of course, how should I say, decarbonizing the heating sector is not uh, revolutionary technology. This technology is all there. And to some extent, when, when you go a little bit upstream, then the technology is always there, but it has to be promoted a bit more. Now, we have in Germany about 2 million heat pumps, and more than half of it are, are air-to-water heat pumps. And the problem is not so much with a single, single home or a single building, but the problem are the overall effects because you know, when it's cold, it's cold more or less everywhere in, in our country. We're usually more cold in the east than in the west, but at times also the cold from the east goes far to the west up to UK eventually. And then it's cold everywhere. And that means that, that if you have heat pumps everywhere, then the heat pumps must run. And then they take a lot of electric uh, capacity demand. And that is something you have to cover by your electricity grid, by the local grid, and eventually also by the national grid. And that is something where there will be difficulties. Um, another point is, in the very end, if you want to be carbon neutral, you have also to have uh, carbon neutral electricity. And you have to have carbon neutral electricity, which is reliable, meaning that you can use it when the sun is not shining and when the wind is not blowing, and nevertheless, you have the cold from the east. One of the, uh, I, I should put in a plug here for a company that we've interviewed a couple of times called Ever Technology, E-A-V-O-R. They they come out of Alberta. They're a geothermal firm, and they're doing their first uh, commercial project uh, south of Munich, uh, mm -hmm. oddly, oddly enough. Uh, they did a pilot project in Alberta, which is fine. And they, their technology, their drilling technology, uh, is borrowed and adapted from the Alberta oil sands, mm -hmm. and which makes it, which basically makes them very cost effective. And, and but your your feed-in tariff for geothermal was what attracted them. I think there was two hundred and fifty-one dollars, uh, sorry, two hundred fifty-one euros 
per megawatt hour, which is very, very high. And and plus there was an EU innovations fund grant that they got mm -hmm. in for 91 million euros. And my takeaway from that was that Germany, it's like it adopted solar in the 80s and 90s, is very serious about looking at alternate uh, and scaling up alternate electricity generation technologies like this geothermal. Is that fair to say? Maya, I'm I'm aware, let's say, of using geothermal for for district heating, especially also in, in the case of Munich, and there's also investigations on, on the potential of geothermal, but it's basically for uh, for district heating, eventually for for industrial heat of up to 200 degrees Celsius. But I, I think it is it's um, it, it's quite a potential, and I would, would also believe that it should be explored more. Because when, when you look on the electricity grid in Germany, it, 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 for historic reasons, it has a north-south divide and east-west divide. And if, if you would really like to, to depend completely on renewable electricity generation, you would have to reinforce the German grid tremendously between north and south. But if you would kind of use geothermal energy along the Alps or the, along the upper Rhine Valley, then you would reduce the, the need to, to reinforce the electricity grid. So I, th I think geothermal is a very interesting uh, approach, but it's it's a bit in its infancy yet, but it's it's on the radar screen of everybody in the South. At least. It, it, it sounds like a, a geothermal would be a, a strategic source of electricity, uh, unlike say uh, nuclear or coal or gas, which is a you know a, a big centralized uh, generation source. I mean, frankly, I don't believe yet in into the role of geothermal for for power generation. I do believe in the role of of geothermal for for district heating, because geothermal <clears throat> would usually not come up with the temperatures that you need for power generation. So and and it would be much better to use it for for district heating. I mean, it's. Uh, carbon dioxide free energy and and it's 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 local it's national and uh, as i try to show in the paper we would not succeed to roll out 15 million heat pumps in 20 years uh, for, for many reasons so, so i believe that what we must do and there's no alternative is to replace kind of five million buildings with oil heating which we still have with the heat pumps, because there's no gas grid, there's no district heating grid. But beyond that, I believe that then to be robust in our approach, we would probably have to split the remaining 10 million buildings, which are heated by gas so far, uh, to be either heated by district heating or eventually by switching from natural gas to hydrogen. So, and when I, when I talk about district heating, then there is, is uh, quite a role for for um, geothermal. But then you first have to look how much you have, where we have it, and how much it costs. And, and then then we, we should be able to integrate it. But the opinion is that it's, it's quite a potential. Yes, I, I would agree with that. The the work that we've done on, on, uh, on Ever suggests that geothermal is in the early stages of being ready to scale and for costs to come down they're going to get on a learning curve so we'll see if that happens that that would be a very good development for germany so 15 million buildings um 
five of million of those uh, are still heated by oil, and you argue that that those are good candidates for uh, for heat pumps. Uh, is is that the policy of the, either the national or uh, subnational government policy uh, to promote heat pumps in that market? Well, so the national policy is even even much more stringent than that. De facto, we have now uh, an act or law which obliges us a bit in the future. Originally, it, it should have been as of this year, but now it's postponed because it was not right. But it obliges us as of 2026 for larger cities, 2028, basically to replace the functional gas heating by heat pumps for 15 million buildings. And that is also um, the scenario framework in our national power plan, which has de facto binding character. So I believe that this will not work. And I believe that installing Heat pumps on the countryside, these 5 million oil-heated buildings, is basically without alternative. I mean, you may have a little bit of biomass, but you have no grid. You have no electricity grid, and you have no district heating grid. So basically, you are left with heat pumps. And that already, in my mind, is, is a challenge for the, for the electricity grid, for the local grids. I mean, the operators of local electricity grids in, in the hearing they're coming out to say, okay, if, if we supply everything with heat pumps, then we have to double or triple our, our local capacity. It's quite costly, and, and also in 20 years, it's, it's not much time to do that. So it's much better in my mind to have a bit more of diversification to say, okay, 5 million on the countryside, there's not much alternative to heat pumps. But if you are in the, in the city centers and, and District heating is certainly a good choice. And in between, switching from, from methane to hydrogen is probably also a good choice because all, all the pipelines are there. 95% are proven to be hydrogen ready. So it seems that this, uh, at least on the local level, is, is a good, good alternative. There's been quite a debate over the role of hydrogen in space heating and, it, and, and industry. And... Um, Two, three years ago, I remember seeing, you know, everybody was predicting that hydrogen would be 30% of primary energy uh, usage by 2050. And the bloom seems to be off that rose. Uh, the, the expectations of what hydrogen can do in the transportation sector, I think, um, have been lowered. Uh, certainly still people, I, the analysts I talk to think that there's still a big role for hydrogen in the industrial sector, you know, providing heat and so on. The, the, the space heating uh, sector, their argument is that hydrogen is just too dangerous. Gets, it gets out of the equipment and, and can cause all sorts of problems. Um, what would be your take on that? Now, of course, in Germany, so to speak, hydrogen uh, has uh, a historic burden. I mean, you may recall this um, Zeppelin, um, which was in, in, in now um, had this accident in Lakehurst, but it was not exploding. It was just burning down, and the drama was that it was burning down in twenty meters altitude. So it was was not about explosion. It was about burning, and you had no escape. So in that regard, I think. Uh, Yes, there are prejudice against hydrogen, but in the very end, I believe that the safety standard can be as good as for methane. Um, so 
in the very end, I mean, I think you will also have not, not too much choice because there was a district heating grid to, to enlarge that. Uh, it takes time and it's also costly and you would not be able to enlarge it as quickly as, as you, you, you should. So in between kind of the 5 million heat pumps on the countryside and yeah, maybe up to 5 million uh, buildings in, in the city centers, you have kind of a, a ring, so to speak, where district heating, it's out of reach for district heating, and it's it's not, not really uh, suitable for uh, heat pumps. And so basically it's the cheapest thing is to, to use the infrastructures that you have and to have hydrogen ready um, gas boilers, which are on the market now, and then, then to switch to hydrogen. The problem is where do we get the hydrogen from? Uh, okay, let's let's address that. Um, the options are not that varied. I mean, you, you can um, you can use an electrolyzer, but then you need more a lot more electricity. Uh, and the, it sounds like Germany's power grid is already going to be strained uh, meeting the other obligations. Uh, you can turn you can you can turn methane into blue hydrogen uh, using the methane uh, steam reforming process and. Uh, those are the two I'm most familiar with. Are, are there any other options uh, for Germany? No, I don't think so. I mean, eventually you can find hydrogen as such in, in some reservoirs, but for Germany, these are the two. Of, of course, there's also pyrolysis always as an option. Um, but it's, it's unfortunately, technology-wise, it's, it's a bit in its infancy. And and on top of it, you, you only make use of 60% of the energy you have in methane. So it's a bit of a bit of waste energy wise. So I believe that with regard to green hydrogen, I mean, our grid is, is designed in a way that it absorbs all renewable electricity. So there's not much left for for the production of of green hydrogen, and the rollout speed of renewables is by far not not fast enough. So I'm, I believe the only way is is blue hydrogen. And with blue hydrogen, then, then you run a bit into the difficulties. Where would you place the steam reforming process? Would you place it close to the consumption point, which I believe is, is reasonable, or would you place it more at the landing point of, of uh, gas from Norway, for example, or LNG? Uh, then you run <clears throat> eventually into a storage question, into the question of the whole infrastructure. So that, that's a bit of an open question, where would you place it? But I believe that if you want to achieve something by 45, then you have to go for blue hydrogen. There's no chance to get enough green hydrogen by that, that time. So it sounds like the if, if, if blue hydrogen is the uh, fuel of choice for 5 million buildings, uh, like it sounds like it, it will have to be, uh, then and, and you don't you can't make enough green hydrogen, uh, then blue hydrogen is the alternative. And my take on this is, is it likely because, you know, I've talked to other hydrogen suppliers and developers and, and the current thinking is the closer to the source of consumption, the better so that you don't have to ship it in a pipeline. A hydrogen, they say it doesn't ship well. You have lots of losses. It's difficult to manage and it has to be chilled to an ungodly degree. Uh, so if you can get the gas to the place of consumption, turn it into hydrogen, and then put that into your system, that seems to be the, the, the most efficient way. Is that kind of the thinking in Germany now? 
I also thought there's not too much thinking about it in Germany because there's a deeply rooted prejudice against uh, CCS. Now this is loosening, but but it's it's, uh, it's it's something irrational, something irrational because um, 15 years ago, uh, disposal of carbon dioxide in the soil was strongly associated with the disposal of nuclear waste. Uh, quite irrational, but that's the way it was. And then it influenced policies and politics and de facto, so to speak, we could not uh, dispose of carbon dioxide in our own country. We could do so in, in, in other countries, in Norway, which has offered itself to do so. We could also build cities infrastructure to, to do it. But it's, it's a bit of a paradigm discussion that uh, many ecologists, many green people feel this, this would be prolonging kind of the fossil fuel industry, which certainly is true. But on the other hand, uh, right now, worldwide and Germany similar, uh, still 80% of the primary energy comes from fossil fuel. And it, it, even with the tripling of, of uh, renewables that, that was you know, promoted uh, in, in COP28, even then you would still need very substantial amounts of uh, decarbonized fossil fuel to meet the, the, the demand for, for energy. Uh, you have so, a section... Yeah, okay. you have a section. Right. You have a section in your paper on individual versus collective action, markets versus planning. What's your thinking there? Now, yeah, in the very end, some things can be left to individual decisions, but uh, overall, so to speak, it's it's a public good we are talking about. I mean, the origin of the problem is a public good problem. You talk about decarbonization. Decarbonization is a public good. I mean, this comes as an extra. Nobody would decarbonize if, if uh, he's not forced to do it. And so it has to be kind of organized by some public authority. And it comes with extra cost. And the public authority has to some extent defined to define the demand for this public good. And so in that regard, I, I don't believe it can be left to markets or only, only very narrow parts of it can be left to markets. But of course, a lot can be left to competition. There's no doubt in that. So, so yes, you can have competition, but from itself, the market would probably not deliver it. Not, not here. I mean, maybe let's say if you, if you look on photovoltaic and the tremendous cost advantages we have seen just in the last year, uh, then in some countries, let's say close to the equator, then it, it may become cost competitive. But here we are in, in, in an area of the world where you have to, to meet tremendous seasonal variations. And that is something which which comes at a lot of extra cost uh, if it is to be decarbonized. So it, it can only be done by, by public intervention or by right. a public organization, let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah, I see that same debate going on in Alberta, which is on the Canadian prairies. And their seasonal variations can be quite startling. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, uh, I was... I arrived in Alberta after a cold snap where it was minus 57, mm-hmm. minus 57 C. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I grew up in, in, in Canada's North where we used to have minus 50 for months on end. So I get it, but trying to run an economy, you know, get your car started, keep your house uh, heated, uh, you know, not have things break. Things break at minus 50. They, they don't, you know, uh, our equipment isn't, built to to thrive in that kind of a, an industry. On the other hand, this summer, I have no doubt they'll see some temperatures up to plus 35. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the range is, you know, what, 80, 85, 90 degrees. 
and you have to plan your grid around that. You have to plan how are you going to to heat heat homes. You know, mm-hmm. people get a little a little cranky if their furnace doesn't work at minus fifty seven, if there's no fuel for it, and and so these kinds of these kinds of conversations uh, sound like the conversations that are going on in Germany. How do we how do we achieve what we need to achieve, but at the same time without compromising the safety or the comfort uh, of our citizens? Yeah, in Canada, you you have the advantage to have your own gas resource, <laughs> but we don't. We have to import it over a long distance, usually, or, or via LNG, and and that means that just by optimizing this, this chain of delivery, uh, we will have to to have enough storage to to cover what what is needed in winter. And and uh, that is <clears throat> so much larger than whatever you have in electricity storage, um, but but the core of it is that to to heat your homes in in a, in a reliable way in winter and to, to meet all these tremendous variations from summer to winter and from winter to winter or year to year, then you have to have energy rich molecules, because you, you will not in the century have batteries large enough to cover that. So because of that, then, then you still have to do with either gas, well, oil is also off, also an, an option in theory. Um, I mean, oil tanks in 5 million homes is also quite quite a bit of uh, storage. So in, for, for that reason, I believe that on the Northern Hemisphere, we cannot do without, without fossil fuels. And natural gas is, of course, the, the easiest to handle. Uh, also, it produces the least uh, carbon dioxide emission. So it seems to be the best fuel. And, and when it comes to power generation, then how should I say, how we really dig to uh, coal is, is the cheapest. And even if you decarbonize it, it, it might be cheaper than, than gas at times, and certainly than oil. So there's a role for, for gas, there might be a role for, for coal in a decarbonized world, and for oil, much more difficult to see what, what it could be. But, but of course, it has the advantage to be very energy dense. I mean, if you have a cubic meter of oil and the equivalent in gas under 100, 100 bar, this is 10 cubic meter. So, so obviously, oil has a bit of an advantage um, to be transported, to be stored, but then it has a disadvantage to produce more carbon dioxide than gas. Well, I'm, I'm again, enjoying this yeah. conversation because of the uh, the recognition of the complexity and the trade-offs that are required between the different technologies and fuels that are available to achieve climate policies while keeping, you know, maintaining comfort and keeping costs down, uh, which has to be a, you know, I mean, Germany is, as we all know, is is Europe's biggest industrial uh, sector, and and so you have to also keep your economy. You have to keep people employed and and get receiving good salaries and. And the complexity of this, after a while, gets, you know, it hurts my head, to be <laughs> honest. And I'm sure there are a few Germans okay. feeling the same way these days. And so I'm wondering about the policy debate around decarbonizing heater heating. Uh, what does that look like? Again, coming back to this uh, Climate Protection Act, the Climate Protection Act is neutral. It, it just tells us we have to be um, carbon dioxide neutral by 2045. Uh, but the, the implementation of it, the present government is, is heavily, heavily biased vis-a-vis renewable and vis-a-vis heat pumps. And so that, that, is, that is a problem. 
uh, that instead of kind of uh, starting with a point to target in 2045, uh, zero, net zero, and then we derive what combination we, we should use of, of uh, energy efficiency and saving of, of uh, carbon dioxide free energy production and of uh, fossil fuel with, with CCS. We, we just uh, bet almost completely on renewables and, and, and uh, heat pumps, and that seems to be not a sound approach. I mean, diversification is, is, is quite good because if, if one of the instruments doesn't work as you wish, then you might still kind of compensate by the other instruments. But if you bet just on one instrument and this does not work, uh, then you're in trouble. I mean, if you, if you look on our renewable rollout compared to what our present government has in its coalition agreement, then basically two years ago or in 2021, it was 30% was, uh, of what they wanted uh, to, to achieve. Then next year was 35. Now we have 50. But nevertheless, so that, that's already about 100% uh, to make up in, in, in the next six years. So that, that shows that, that it's, it's a very dangerous policy to, to put all your eggs into one basket. Um, and how should I say, when, when you go for an all electric, all renewable, all heat pump world, there are so many infrastructure chains which you have to manage at the same time. And, and that is really mind-boggling. And, and now, yeah, how should I say, betting on winning in the lottery is okay. Some people win in the lottery, usually not you. <laughs> but betting on winning in several lotteries at the same time, that has never happened so far. I, I remember as a, as a kid, I used to, to read the uh, Andy Cap uh, cartoon mm -hmm. in, the, in the newspaper. And one of the recurring themes in this comic strip was, you know, Andy Cap was a middle-aged British, you know, working class guy. And they were always buying lottery tickets as their retirement plan. And, and always, they never won, <laughs> you know, or they maybe won just enough to buy some more lottery tickets. And, and, and the futility of that strategy to fund your retirement was a, just a, you know, it was a recurring joke. Um, and it sounds, sounds like Germany sounds like every other country I, I, I do interviews about, whether it be Canada and one of its provinces or wh whether it's the U.S. And, and, and one or more of its, its states. Everyone is grappling with addressing the complexity of, of this change what are the fuels going to be? What 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 infrastructure has to be invested in? What what's our regulatory environment? Mm. How will consumers? The, the it's a it's a uh, and there's a lot of moving pieces in this machine, and based on that, uh, are you optimistic, or how optimistic are you that Germany is going to achieve its goals and get to where it's need and and transition and still maintain you know its uh, economic prowess now you know Karl Popper who's a philosopher I don't like that much but he has uh, said which I, I agree with there's no reasonable alternative to optimism so <laughs> I'm reasonably optimistic that the Germany will manage those goals and and to some extent uh, one might also quote Churchill, which uh, which was, was rather directed at the United States to say, they do the right thing after having tried everything else. So mm -hmm. I hope this also applies to Germany. And, and it seems that we see some correction in the thinking. I mean, 
the, the carbon dioxide sequestration debate is open. We, we discussed with Norway how much uh, they would take. I mean, they offered to take all the carbon dioxide from the EU, basically. And we are now discussing also on, on specifications and on, on procedures for carbon dioxide pipeline. So, so in the end, I'm, I'm optimistic that we will um, find a way to include that and that uh, uh, on the renewable, we will also find the right, the right speed to roll them out. But in the very end, it's quite clear, there's an additionality. I mean, this is an externality which causes additional cost. Um, by the way, worldwide, about 2% of, of GDP, the figure we know from the master discussions. So it seems feasible. Well, on that optimistic note, uh, Ralph, this has been fascinating. Uh, I really appreciate your insights into the challenges ahead of Germany. And thank you very much for this. Yeah, thank you for, for interesting questions and for the interest in my paper. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.